Hey everybody, my name is Alyssa Robinson and you are listening to the Life Plus God podcast. I'm so glad you're here with us. And with me today as my guest, I have Reverend Karen Kraska. Karen, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. And if you are a Christ follower, like the two of us claim to be, then you are in the season of Pentecost. And this is, from what I understand, a pretty big deal in the church. Uh, It's a pretty defining moment in our faith tradition. And uh, it's a big celebration. I think maybe one of the biggest after uh, Easter and Christmas within our faith tradition is Pentecost because that marks the beginning of the formation of the Christian church. But I'd like for us to explore more deeply today, what is Pentecost? Where, do, where is it in scripture? Where does it come from? How do we celebrate it? Uh, because I think that even though for those of us who work mm-hmm. and dedicate our lives to the church, we realize the spiritual significance of this season, I don't know if we do a great job spreading that word uh, to others of what this time means in a way we do just by living out our faith and sharing the story of Christ. But the specifics around uh, the specific holiday of Pentecost Sunday and then the entire season and what it means, we don't really talk a lot about. You know, we don't. And I think probably one of the reasons we don't is we haven't secularized Pentecost like we have Christmas and Easter. Oh, yeah. Uh, With the birth and the death of Jesus. You don't see a lot of Pentecost Hallmark cards. No. mm -mm. And the stores don't set up for it months in advance. So it's one of those uh, holidays in the Christian church that, sure, it's a big deal, the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. But... Outside of the the Christian church, not so much. So let's start with the most basic question, or maybe the most complex question. (laughs) What is Pentecost? Pentecost is a season of the church year. Uh, We, as Protestants, kind of break down the church year, so to speak, with Advent before uh, the season of of Christmas tide, where we're getting ready for the birth of Jesus, and then throughout the year, we've marked significant events, so to speak, or things that we need to remember to highlight through the year. Just like we celebrate a birthday, we remember when Jesus was baptized by, baptized by John, and you know the baptism of the Lord. We remember uh, Lent, the forty days in the wilderness, in preparation for Easter, and then we go into Easter tide. So the season of Pentecost is a liturgical season, so to speak, of the church year, where we remember and reflect upon the gift of the Holy Spirit. We as United Methodists are Trinitarian Christians, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Holy Trinity is what we what we believe and what we ascribe to. And so the the Holy Spirit kind of coming on the scene in a big way is what the season of Pentecost celebrates. What does the word Pentecost mean? Where did that come from? Because that word isn't actually in Scripture, correct? Or uh, is it? Well, it's in some translations okay. <laughs> of the Bible, but the actual, the term Pentecost is a Greek word, and it means 50th, and it refers to the Jewish festival of Shavuot, celebrated on the 50th day of Passover. So think in the first century church, 
They were Jews who then become Gentiles because Jesus is ascended. And Luke, the, the apostle, Luke, the disciple, who was the physician, a very learned person, is the one who writes about um, this, this powerful uh, indoctrination or the, the Holy Spirit you know, coming among them in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has been ascended and says, hey, I, I'm going to give you power uh, that you can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. And so Luke kind of sets the stage for us and Pentecost, the the um, that festival, so to speak, happens in the book of Acts. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, and it makes perfect sense, right? Jesus was Jewish, his followers were Jewish, mm-hmm. all these things. But the uh, Jewish faith versus the Christian faith traditions, a lot of them are in lockstep with each other. And so while we're celebrating Easter, they're celebrating Passover. Exactly. Um, and Jesus, the Last Supper with his disciples, they were actually celebrating Passover together. And then 50 days after Passover, the whole Holy Spirit comes down. You mentioned the Jewish festival of Shavuot. I looked up the pronunciation. Oh, good. I'm glad you did. (laughs) And I'm probably still butchering it. Shavuot uh, is what I I heard. So there's the Jewish festival of Shavuot. There's a harvest festival, a festival of grains, a festival celebrating a harvest. And to your point, 50 days after Passover. Passover, which was when Jesus was. At the Last Supper. And so the thought was all of these followers of Christ uh, were coming together. The reason that Pentecost lands where it was is because they were all together were in the to get- same place celebrating this festival of harvest. Correct. Um, and so it's just, I don't know why it's fascinating to me, but to see us in lockstep with mm-hmm. the Jewish faith mm-hmm. and the Jewish church on so many different things. Um it just it feels very connecting to me. It is very connecting because we are, to your point, kind of in lockstep. We share so many customs and traditions, and of course, the first five books of our you know canonized Bible with with our Jewish uh, our Jewish neighbors. Um, when you read in the book of Acts, well, I, I'm happy to read some of it, but. These converts, there were about 120 of them that are believed to have been together. And to your point, they were celebrating uh, this this harvest festival. But they were also finding a, a replacement for Jesus, uh, for Judas, who betrayed Jesus, obviously, and then d- dies, um, kills himself. And so they're they're casting lots to see who's going to be the twelfth the 12th disciple. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. If you back up, because the word Pentecost and the, the celebration uh, of Pentecost Day happens in chapter two, but in chapter one, it, kinds of set, it kind of sets the stage for why they are gathered together, these, these new Gentiles, the, those who have been already converted. And so you've only got about 120 believers who are the ones who will then propagate the, the, the new, you know, the way, mm. <laughs> the way of Christ. So all of this is happening in the book of Acts. What actually happened during Pentecost that we're celebrating? Are there some big markers, multiple things that happened, or is it just one big thing? I'm just going to read this scripture if it's okay. It's, it's chapter 2 uh, in the book of Acts, and I won't read all of it. But when Pentecost Day arrived, they're all together in one place. That's all the disciples, and we know that Matthias was the replacement for Judas. 
And suddenly a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How can they each, how then can each of us hear them speaking in our native languages? So the the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Mm-hmm. These these new believers, these new um, Jews who are now Gentile, and the power of the Holy Spirit enables them to speak in their native languages and be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. So that is the big event of that's, Pentecost. And on Pentecost Sunday, that's the moment that we're remembering that the Holy Spirit descended upon this group of disciples. Yes. And it's what Jesus foretold because earlier it says, this is what you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it was prophesied. Um, they didn't know what all that would mean. But when Jesus left and said, I'm going to give you another comforter, you know, I'm going, but there is one, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally leaving you. So again, in that Trinitarian faith, when Jesus ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit is still dwelling on the earth and in, in our lives. So it was profoundly important because we weren't left alone. It wasn't like, hey, I've been here for, you know, 30 something years and now you're on your own. (laughs) So, so you said still dwelling because I think that this is kind of a topic of debate that Mm -hmm. I've seen is, was the Holy Spirit here the entire time? And that was just a revealing of the Spirit in a new way? Or was that literally the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to us and it wasn't with us before? That's a very good question. And I know there's a lot of debate on one side or the other. I'll tell you my opinion. I believe that when when eyes are opened, when scripture is revealed, there's always foreshadowing and there's prophecy and things. It's hard not to read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. But I believe at that point that the Holy Spirit was manifest in a way such that humanity and and those who have followed Jesus get it. Uh, Was the Holy Spirit moving in the world ahead of that? I, I don't know. I don't know. We know what's in Scripture. Possibly Possibly. I mean, how did prophets and how did, um, you know, those who were, were faithful, Noah and Abraham and on down the line, David, before Jesus, yeah, the Holy Spirit could have been truly, I, I can't say definitively, but at this point, it was a marked change mm-hmm. that Jesus has said, hey, I, I've set this way before you and he, the Holy Spirit will continue this work, basically. How does Pentecost relate to the Pentecostal movement? Do you know anything about that? Because I I know that there is a direct connection between the Pentecostal movement and the emphasis on spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. And it comes from this Pentecost story, but I don't quite understand it. 
Right. Well, when Jesus comes, Jesus makes a new covenant. So think about like rabbinical Jews and think about, you know, the the Pharisees that are talked about in Scripture, a very literal uh faith of rules and regulations and can and cannots. And Jesus says, hey, you know, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus comes to show us a new way of being, a new way of loving. So the Pentecostal movement obviously comes from this enthusiastic, experiential, um, moving of the Holy Spirit. I have uh, an aunt and uncle, they, they're they deceased, but they were Pentecostal and we would visit them in Little Rock, Arkansas and go to their Pentecostal church. And, you know, they didn't have televisions and cut their hair and wore skirts and all that. And and the the services obviously are more enthusiastic. And I can remember going to a service and literally the pastor got up and said, we're just going to sit here and wait for a word of the Lord. I'm not going to preach the message I have prepared. We're just going to wait for a word of the Lord. And we literally sat there for like an hour in silence. Even as a child, I was like, oh, this is very, (laughs) this is very odd. But it, it really is almost a begging of the Holy Spirit to move in a way that is inspiring and uh, you know prophecies and tellings and revelations it's a little bit foreign because we as united methodists tend to be more script more scripted so if you study church history this kind of enthusiasm uh, for the faith it's an emotional experience with God. And I would hope that in our Methodist churches that we have enthusiastic and emotional responses. But mm-hmm. I think because we have, you know, proclamation and we have different thing, you know, parts in our service, it's not so open and um, unscripted, so to speak. But yes, the Pentecostal movement harkens to, to these passages where People are seeing visions and dreaming dreams, and the Holy Spirit is nudging people to Mm -hmm. prophesy, and it's just a kind of different expression of their Christian understanding. And the Holy Spirit is such a mystery to me. It's something that I don't understand at Mm -hmm. all, but I feel a connection to. Mm -hmm. Um, With what you were describing, I've never been to a Pentecostal church before because it kind of scares me. I only know of it what I've seen from like videos and movies and right. things like that where it's like people speaking in tongues and it's not like so what what I got out of the story from scripture of Pentecost is people started speaking in tongues but it said they were each speaking in native languages. Right. So it was languages that people knew and understood mm-hmm. and they were speaking in each other's languages. Right. But then when I see videos from Pentecostal churches, it's like, it it sounds like gobbledygook to me. It's not a language, but, but they say it's God's language and that God understands what they're saying. And it, it really, honestly, it scares (laughs) me a little bit because I don't understand it. It's so foreign. It really is. But then there's other faith traditions. So like my partner, uh, is Indian Orthodox Mm -hmm. and in his faith tradition, um, the priest before the sacrament of communion uh, waits for the Holy Spirit to be present in the room. Mm. And so he said there have been times that like the priest is trying to connect in with the Holy Spirit and they will not proceed with communion until he feels the Holy Spirit's presence in the room. But it's not like um, a performative thing of like speaking in tongues, crying Mm -hmm. out, ripping 
wedding clothing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of I'm doing this motion almost like a conductor with my hand from what he's shown me is the priest just standing there with his eyes closed wow. quietly and everyone in the congregation is just waiting. And they said you can sometimes it takes five minutes, sometimes it takes 15 minutes, like but he needs to feel the presence of the spirit before they move forward. And it just feels like such a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. But again, something I don't understand. Like I'd always be second guessing myself of, was that the spirit? Or like, did I just get caught up in like (laughs) the candles and the music and all of these things and, you know, the goosebump effect. It's, it's hard to know. I don't, I don't get it. That's the mystery of faith. And it, you know, that sounds so, I'm either connected or I'm not. I'm the spirit is here or the spirit is not. But uh, see, we we talk about all the time in the United Methodist tradition. We bring up the scripture where two or more are gathered in right. my name, I am there. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we enter the sanctuary with the assumption the Holy Spirit is here. Absolutely. Um, and we don't have to wait for it to arrive. And so it, it's but does that um cheapen our relationship with the Holy Spirit because we're not waiting for it. We're not taking the time to feel it. We're just hoping that it reveals itself. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, when I pray typically like at the beginning of the 830 service, I I always invite the Holy Spirit to move among us and that we will feel and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to invite the Holy Spirit into a situation, whether in our personal lives or in our worship lives or... um, but I don't believe that God isn't already there. (laughs) But it's almost like, okay, God, help me see where you are. Help me join you where you are. Help me hear a word from you and get out of my own head and my own. And, and, you know, something else with the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I can remember kind of being stumped by what's the difference in the Holy Spirit and my conscience? Yes. And I can just remember, you know, kind of pontificating and staring at my navel going, I don't get it. How do I know when I hear a voice that's not just my conscience saying, hey, you know, do this, don't do this, you know, kind of like, (laughs) you know, the angel on your shoulder, the, you know, the good cop, bad cop. So that's something that through my life I thought, hmm, but the power and presence of the Holy Spirit leading God Writing, you know, is um, it's biblical, it's scriptural, the the enthusiastic, you know, like faith healers and things like that, you know, invoking the power of the Holy Spirit. I will never be one to say this is legitimate or this isn't because right. I don't understand God's mind, God's heart all the time. And God is so big. I don't right. want to demystify God. So those who are Pentecostal are I'm having... I'm not going to say anyone's wrong or right. doing it of wrong course. or they don't get it. Like, obviously, I don't get it. Right. It's, <laughs> it's complicated. the Holy Spirit. It's complicated. And to your point about praying in languages that are not, that are, that are prayer languages or spirit languages that aren't actual, hey, I'm speaking French or Portuguese or whatever. Whatever, is really was really different. And United Methodists are very clear that the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, is a spiritual gift, but it's used for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. So if someone is kind of on their own having some type of a, a of a an encounter and there's not an interpreter and it's not used for the building of the body of Christ, I would be suspect. In our churches, it's not common that people you know, honestly, in a Methodist church, I've never heard it, but I have been in Pentecostal churches and heard it and believed it was very valid. It was different. Um, 
and, and can be a little scary, but we believe that God works in mysterious ways. So however that person is filled with the Spirit, but, you know, we are very clear as United Methodists that it's for the building of the body of Christ and there must be an interpreter. With back to the Holy Spirit, because mm-hmm. I can't get enough of it. And I'm going to ask all sorts of questions that you can't answer. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, so if we're thinking that the Holy Spirit has always been here, but Pentecost was like the big revealing of the Holy Spirit in a new way, um, what changed? How how was the Holy Spirit uh, seen differently post resurrection as opposed to pre-resurrection. Like, what does it mean to get baptized by the Holy Spirit? Is that still happening today? Is the Holy Spirit moving in ways today that are unlike it ever was pre-resurrection? That's a good question. I do believe the Holy Spirit is still moving. And I believe that, you know, just as you know, when Jesus was baptized by John and the, you know, the dove comes down and the heavens are opened, I believe that all that is kind of a glimpse of the divine. And probably the Holy Spirit was moving in ways that we don't know or understand pre-resurrection um, because God is God has always been. I mean, God is omnipotent, omnipresent. And so I have a hard time believing that it was just singular. Oh, I'm going to, you know, create my son and the Holy Spirit. It seems very linear, (laughs) but that's, I'm a linear thinker. So, okay, first there was the father and then there was the son and then there was the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, from the beginning of time. And then when Jesus entered the scene and then when Jesus left the scene, I don't know. We don't know. And scholars will go back and forth. But as far as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, it is it is a, a thought that you receive your spiritual gifts at your baptism. Oh. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you at your baptism, and we have pastors on our staff that believe you are gifted, you your spiritual gifts are bestowed upon you at your baptism. And I those there's scripture to support that. I believe I know people honestly that are that are really devout believers that just for whatever reason have not been baptized. Perhaps they, you know, shared their faith openly. We have volunteers at our church and I'm like I don't know why they have not But they gotten still formed. have very clear But they have gifts. gifts. They yeah. have <laughs> gifts. So I could argue both sides, but scripturally, biblically that you can make a very compelling argument that no, you get your spiritual gifts at your baptism. Well, and that's what I wonder about baptism is, do we have a clear definition of baptism? Because I know that we have the ceremony Mm -hmm. of baptism, but one of the things that uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned in an episode a while back is that you know, we talk about marriage all the time. We have the ceremony of marriage in the church, but there's actually no clear definition of what a marriage is. There's nothing Mm. in the Bible that says, okay, this person stands in front of this person and says these words, Mm -hmm. and then you're married in the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. So it's open to interpretation. Is Can the same be said for baptism of that John the Baptist decided to use water as a symbol of baptism? The Holy Spirit came down in flames and that was a symbol of baptism. But baptism itself is actually a bigger concept than any symbol can represent. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> when I took my oral I'm exams, dumping, when, I'm dumping that's okay. Such, like, no, big stuff on you. This is this is bringing back. I'm, I may have a little, you know, shock here. When I when I took my oral exams from seminary, that was one of the questions was really drilling down on baptism. There was there was already among it was not a Christian act. We we believe as as Christians that baptism is unique to us. It wasn't. It was a it was a ritual. It was a rite of passage in other in other faith traditions. It's not unique to Christianity. So pre-Jesus, pre-John the Baptist, people were being baptized. Now we believe that it's not just a symbol. It's not just, oh, wow, this is a symbolic, let's put water on someone's head or dunk them. And it's more than a symbol. We believe Christ meets us it's a sacrament, just like at Holy Communion. You know, we don't believe in transubstantiation, that it's literally Jesus as the host, as the bread. But we do believe that that Jesus is there, that God's presence is there. That's why we have elders who consecrate um, the elements for bat- for communion, and that's why pastors do the baptizing. But it it's it's more than a symbol. But it's not unique to Christianity. We have kind of um, confiscated and we have adapted other, I mean, it's symbolic in that we are washed, that we are cleared, that we are forgiven, we are purified. Um, But it was not unique to Christianity. So at that given moment, I mean, you know, Jesus's ministry is being revealed at this time. So when, when, you know, people are being baptized it wasn't in the name of the Father. You know, think think about it. When Jesus gets baptized, people don't even know who he is. So then when the doves come and the heavens open and all this, it's like, whoa, this is part of Christ kind of coming out, so to speak, that mm-hmm. people are going, whoa, these miracles and, and his teachings were so radical that... It, I, th- I forgot the question that you asked, but um, <laughs> I've gone off on a tangent. Yes, there were baptisms happening before, and I don't believe that at that point. I mean, the Holy Spirit obviously was obvious, but um, so I guess I perhaps guess the, it could have happened in another tradition. Yeah, I guess the the point I was getting to is so yes, it is more than a ceremony, but we have specific. Um, symbols that we use as a part of baptism, like laying water on the Mm -hmm. head, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. But that's not the only way to be baptized, is it? I mean, according to our tradition, that's the way we choose to do it. But obviously the Holy Spirit had a different plan. So Mm -hmm. like, are there other ways that baptism by the Holy Spirit can occur that isn't a sacrament performed by a priest or a pastor. Hmm. I'm trying to think what that would be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to think that would because, like I said, we've ritualized a lot right. of things. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit can show up where and when the Holy Spirit chooses to show up. So that's what I was thinking is like with your friend that you were talking about who's been serving in the church for years as a Christ follower who hasn't gone through our ritual Mm -hmm. of baptism. Mm -hmm. Who are we to say that this person isn't baptized in the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Maybe they had a private moment with God that they felt that washing over in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so for me... I just, I have trouble with, uh, I saw it's one of those things that 
we take it without questioning it because it has become such a fundamental part of our religion and our tradition. But when I zoom out at a macro view Mm -hmm. and take a look at what is this thing called baptism and what is like the presence of the Holy Spirit within it, I like my mind starts racing (laughs) as to like, why do we do water? Why do we do? Why don't we as a part of the baptismal ceremony based on Pentecost, light things on fire, like, or, or whatever it is. I mean, you probably don't want to catch someone's (laughs) hair on fire, but there could be, I don't know. It's because many different things we, we have in as United Methodist, our sacraments are directly things that Jesus himself participated in, i.e. baptism, i.e. the the um, Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. Those are things we know Jesus himself participated in. In the Catholic Church, of course, there are many more sacraments, unction and marriage and all those things that we don't consider, we don't make sacraments, but we do them and we do baptism with water because Jesus did. Uh, and that's that's the reason we do it. We believe it's God's act. It's not our act. That's why as United Methodists, we don't believe the amount of water makes a difference because we believe God is there working if it's sprinkling or immersion. Well, that was a fun rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so back to, to Pentecost. Mm-hmm. What are some of the symbols associated with Pentecost and what do they mean? Well, the first hymn in our hymnal is Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, the Charles Wesley hymn. And it's it's an allegory. It's it's um talking about these tongues that were on fire. It, it harkens back to Babel, you know, so the Tower of Babel at the beginning of the Bible, where things were confused. There was confusion. And I believe this is, you know, um indicative of we're called to be in community. We're called to communicate. We're called to be united as a globe, not just as you know, people in our in our country, in our culture. So those tongues of fire are in, in that hymn talk about these these Galileans who've come, but yet they've come from different places, yet when they spoke, they could all be understood. It's like the the confusion, the chaos is quelled by the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks down geographic barriers and barriers of racism and classism and sexism and all of those things. Um, So tongues of fire. Well, and you mentioned that we are called to be united. And it makes me wonder, uh, the United Methodist logo, that's the cross and Mm -hmm, flame, mm -hmm. does that flame represent Pentecost and the Holy Spirit? Oh, I think so. Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah. When you think about, you know, like a wildfire just spreading, these 120 people that were assembled for this festival uh, and and the the naming of the, the new disciple... They didn't know that th- this was going to be a kind of a supernatural God experience kind of event, and it spread like wildfire. Christianity from this moment on was catapulted and began to to, to rage like a fire across across the world. Um, and I forgot what Daniel said in his message. It's been a couple of months ago. How many Christian converts happened daily? 
in the early years of Christianity, it's staggering. Oh my gosh, my prayer would be that we would experience that kind of explosive growth and transformation. How much better would our world be? But it was staggering how many converts, and it's in scripture somewhere, you know, it says the numbers are being increased daily, but there's also quantifiable numbers. So it raged like a wildfire. So yes, the Methodist cross in flame, absolutely. Then the the dove is a symbol of Pentecost. Um, they laugh because years ago I bought these doves on poles, you know, that we can wave. They're beautiful. And it's to symbolize, you know, just as Moses sent out a dove uh, after the flood, hey, the dove comes back with a branch, okay? Is that in the Pentecost story? Because I've seen the dove as a symbol of Pentecost, but I've also seen it as a symbol of baptism because right. the dove came down right. when Jesus was baptized, all of that. Uh is that something that we made up with tradition or is that is the dove present in scripture in the Pentecost story? No, the dove, I don't see that in in the Pentecost story, but it's it's a symbol as the heavens were opened and the dove came down as a symbol of peace. So it's kind of gotten um, associated with the Holy Spirit. Wind in the breath of God, it, you know, the ruach, the the wind and and the movement of the spirit that's very much a symbol of Pentecost. It says like a great rushing wind. I mean, they had an experience, just like the earth shaking and the heavens opening and the wind blowing. So those those are really our images of Pentecost: the fire, the dove, the the wind um, are are really the primary. When we have our worship services, I mean, a lot of hymns allude to those those images. Um, we don't necessarily, you know, decorate. <laughs> we wear red. I mean, red is a symbol of Pentecost. Of course, that's from the fire. Um, but uh, in different traditions, you know, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, some use, I think I saw red, you know, red geraniums. I mean, different places on the globe mm-hmm. may decorate or do things different from Pentecost. But a, a more, you know, kind of, United Methodist American understanding of Pentecost would be red stoles for clergy and candles and uh, doves and banners and things like that and, and the singing of Pentecost hymns, so to speak, that you know speak of the Holy Spirit. How do United Methodist and uh, other Christian denominations observe Pentecost, and is there any way that we do it differently from each other? Is there a tradition that we have as United Methodists that maybe other denominations don't have or vice versa? Not that I'm aware of. Like I said, it's it's so unique to Christianity that it's not been secularized. So in individual churches, I know like here, Honestly, we do worship series, and sometimes we kind of tip our hat to Pentecost, and we always mention it in prayers and things. This year, it's a standalone, and the whole message, all of the music will be specific to the Holy Spirit. So invoking the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and in the world, we'll sing hymns of tongues of fire and flames and spirit of faith come down and all of these things that are traditional for us as United Methodists. But there really aren't, you know, parades or um, things that, like lighting candles or things like that. I mean, you, we have a lot of latitude. Mm-hmm. There's not a prescribed, this is what we do each Pentecost Sunday. It's just remembering the wind, the breath of God, 
the presence of the descending dove, um, all of those things. How does Pentecost impact the lives of Christians today? Do you think it's still relevant? I know the automatic answer is yes, but it, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things that, um, like you said, it hasn't been secularized and it's something that's very mysterious mm-hmm. and, and misunderstood. And maybe as a result of that, like we're less willing to sit in the mystery of it, mm-hmm. but what does it mean for us today? I think because the word is very tribal. If yeah. you're not a Christian and somebody says Pentecost, it would mean nothing. Time to rebrand is right. what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and even the word Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is kind of fraught with, sounds kind of weird or unusual or can be misunderstood. We are spirit beings you know, having an earthly kind of experience. I truly believe that, that we have a soul. And so when you get into kind of the mystery, it sounds kind of weird and, you know, like a head trip, but we we really are spiritual beings here kind of on a, a temporary journey, I believe. So when you talk about things that aren't flesh and blood and bones and skin and, you know, the psychology and the mystery of faith, that's where all this lands. Mm-hmm. is my understanding of the Holy Spirit, having you know walked with Christ and felt the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, might be different from some someone who's never had that or understood it. I actually just yesterday was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and she was talking about these visions. And I said, whoa, back up and tell me the story. And during a very diff- difficult time in her life, she really felt like and believed she had these visions and from the Holy Spirit. And I said, do you still have them? And she said, no, it was for a, a period of time. She said, until I could breathe underwater. Her, she was losing her parents. She was responsible for their care, only child. And she said, I'm terrified of water. And she said, for weeks, I had these these visions and these dreams. And she said, once I could realize that this wave of water was coming over me and I wasn't panicked, I could breathe underwater, they stopped. You know, me, I'm like, ooh, wow, you know, tell me more. The power of the Holy Spirit, she's convinced, and I, I agree, she was given this gift where she really felt in an intense way, the power of the Holy Spirit being with her through an very, very difficult time in her life. So I always pray, Holy Spirit, you know, guide my steps, my path, my mm-hmm. thoughts. My So it's hard to kind of explain because it's not so Jesus was flesh and blood. That's why Jesus came. So we could relate as human beings to another human being. But when you get into stuff, it sounds kind of like metaphysics and Mm -hmm. made up and head trips and smoking stuff. It's not. It's, I believe, just, you know, just like angels or demons or we only know what we can see and quantify. There are things out there. And in our cosmos that we don't know or understand. Well, and that's where I actually, it's its strange, but I feel like the Holy Spirit feels more relevant today than it has in a long time. Mm. And, I, and when I think of many people my age 
um, who make the claim, I'm spiritual, not religious. Mm. Well, the reason they feel spiritual is because of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we don't know what the Holy Spirit is. We don't have to use this tribal language, but seeking an energy, seeking the divine. There are so many seekers. And I think of the rise of astrology mm-hmm. and not not the horoscope type right. daily prophecy type things, Mm -hmm. but like people who truly study astrology and chakras and these, um, ancient practices, they're seeking something. And I do think that the Holy Spirit is present in those things. And it's the weird metaphysical mystery Mm -hmm. that none of us understand. And Mm -hmm. we don't have scripture necessarily to ascribe to it, but man, like the fact that the uh, Magi who were led to Jesus were astronomers. Like that feels like the Holy Spirit was present Mm. in that guiding them. And there's just so many things that we learn of ancient people and the Egyptians and the way that their society run and just it's mind blowing stuff. It's mind blowing. There are advances in maths and physics and all of these things that Uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit is present in science. I feel like the Holy Spirit is present in matter, in energy, in everything. And so it it just feels like a constant rediscovering Mm -hmm. of what the Spirit is. And I just, I wish that we would stop putting parameters around what is and is not the Holy Spirit. I think that Mm -hmm. we have some very specific examples from scripture of how the Spirit has revealed herself. But I just, there's, it, there has to be more, more that we will never understand. And like your friend, it's, it can be both communal Mm -hmm. and extremely personal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, different, you know, traditions and understandings. In our canonized Bible, we don't have an apocrypha of sacred writings like the Roman Catholics, but the Holy Spirit is mentioned in a couple of books, sacred writings that are a part of the apocrypha. You know, we we tend to, sorry, let me hit that microphone. We we as Christians, myself included, the things we understand, the things we can, you know, justify, quantify, take, you know, literally from Scripture and extract, we're pretty solid on those. We really try to put God in a box Mm -hmm. and explain everything and have an answer for everything. And spirit and mystery we can't be certain we just know that god is in it and it's a gift from god to us we don't tap into the power and presence of the holy spirit enough i know i do things on my own and then i'm like oh yeah hello jesus god come on help me bail me out of this uh, try to make sense of this for me instead of walking in the spirit daily mm-hmm. and um i just think there's so much beauty and mystery and things that we just limit yeah. we want to explain and understand and rationalize yeah so hey if you're if you're a person who is willing to sit in mystery. Mm-hmm. Pentecost is relevant Amen. and it matters and call it whatever you want. We can get rid of tribal language. We can call it uh, <laughs> the the revealing of divine energy, right. whatever, whatever right. it is you want to call it that makes Light. you feel connected. Oh, breath. Yes. 
light and love. Mm-hmm. Yes. All of that, uh, that we can experience firsthand. Um, it's still happening today Absolutely. in so many different ways that doesn't inside churches, outside churches, mm-hmm. everywhere. So um, in medic in meditation, yes. in Bible study, in scripture reading, in, in hospital rooms, exactly that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, comforting. Uh, all of those things can happen to your point. Doesn't have to happen on Sunday morning in a United Methodist Church. The Spirit is active among us if we will just slow down long enough and uh, tap into that power. Yeah, so let's have our hope for our listeners be that during this Pentecost season, they feel the love and light of Christ in whatever way the Spirit presents herself. Amen. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.